What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 54 of the Triage Method podcast. Back this week again with Mr. Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how was your week this week? Absolutely fantastic, Eric. Uh, we're coming up to the end of college, so assignments, etc. Due, a load of testing, you know the usual. Uh, so busy few weeks for me, but it's coming into summer. And as we've discussed before, I am going away for three months. Well, two and a half months to America which will be fun and that is coming up soon enough so that's keeping me mentally engaged because I'm like yes we're nearly there push on through but how was your weekend you you're still on placement aren't you yes still on placement so as I kind of mentioned in the last one my placement is called access campus which means you, diff- you work with different groups in the community which is actually pretty fun because you basically get to get a lot of different people lifting like we've been teaching dancers how to do deadlifts we've actually been te- we actually got to teach uh cardiac rehab patients how to deadlift this week so we had these like 80 year old men and women deadlifting and it's just pretty cool like i'm like that's a good feel Um, we're adding them pulling like 200 240 260 (laughs) actually was one guy that was pulling like maybe 80 kilos which is pretty good like you know if you're after having a heart attack like i'm like that's not bad um but yeah it's funny how many people surprise themselves when you just get them to lift the weight and then you're like oh yeah, that's actually 40 kilos. And they're like, I don't understand kilos. And I'm like, oh, it's like 90 pounds. And they're like, what the fuck? How did I do that? Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like the perception of like an elderly patient with some cardiac condition would be that this isn't safe. Whereas like that's not exactly reflected in the research and it's cool to kind of change those paradigms. But anyway, this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about a a kind of a big picture perspective. Um on the use of manual therapies and we'll explain what that means in a moment but the reason we're going to be discussing this is number one because I find it an interesting topic um, as do you Paddy and because it's something that people very much engage with within the fitness industry especially Um, and also because in our last few podcasts we've been discussing a lot of kind of big picture issues from a zoomed out perspective like the last one was all about you know personal trainers and their kind of interaction with healthcare and stuff like that and we got some really good feedback on that stuff so we kind of want to keep that going for a little bit I guess by discussing in this case what what personal trainers and trainees physio students and and physios might want to know about this sort of information might want to think about more than anything and just so you kind of have a better understanding of what the deal is with manual therapy. And when we talk about manual therapy, essentially what we're talking about is some sort of manual treatment that is applied by a therapist to, I don't know, like generally to like release tight muscles, to reduce pain, to improve function, to have some sort of therapeutic effect. Sometimes that's framed as realigning something or, you know, fixing something. Um, And that just depends on where you've looked, um, who you've gone to and what the specific branch of a a manual therapist might be like if they're an osteopath whether they're a chiropractor a physiotherapist a general massage therapist etc okay so that this goes across multiple different professions so with that in mind with that in mind what i mean by manual is essentially something that is being applied by the therapist in a hands-on fashion so that might be something like um even even just stretching like it might be literally the therapist stretching you out um, but generally it's things more so related to 
massage, deep tissue massage, specific types of that. You know, some people might refer to some types of massage as friction based. Um, you have things like uh, instrument assisted soft tissue, soft tissue massage or Graston. And that's when you see those Instagram gurus with the kind of things that look like knives. They look like knives and they're like scraping your muscles and people are like black and blue after it. That's called Graston or IASTM. Um, other things you might see are like dry needling, which is essentially just a, an attempt to make acupuncture look less less like quackery in my eyes. Like I think it's just westernized acupuncture and I think dressing it up as anything other than that is um, kind of just pulling the wool over people's eyes. <laughs> um, and then you have things like f- fascial stretch therapy. I'm not sure if I just said that. Um, where the, the intent is to release fascia with a specific type of stretch. The same thing can be thought of in terms of like pressing on specific areas and releasing fascia. So these things, they're widespread, you know, and, and, and they've been the central thesis of kind of chiropractic care um, in some sense in that, you know, you've got specific manipulations where you're trying to, you're doing a high force, high velocity manipulation to try and essentially realign something. Um, that's often the case or at least the narrative that's pushed on people and then you have lower level things like joint mobilizations where (laughs) like it's funny when you're taught it in college they like grade them like grade one two three four mobilizations and you're supposed to be able to reliably like tell how much force you're putting on a specific joint and it's like this makes no sense at all Uh, but anyway they're they're the broad things and I suppose like before we get into any further discussion I'm going to lay it out there that my inherent bias like from the get-go is that these things are not useful. Um, so I suppose it's useful to kind of, to know what my bias is, but also that the reason I have that bias is because of going through physiotherapy education, looking at the research and concluding that this stuff is generally low value. So that's kind of the reason I have that. Um, it would be cool if we could do these hands-on things and just fix people, but yeah, there's my bias. So Patty, before we get go any further with that, anything else yeah, you'd just, like to add? Just to kind of add on to that. So obviously you're talking to everyone from almost a physio perspective like obviously you can't speak for the entire population of physiotherapists but i also want people to realize that this is stuff that you see in the gym by trainees themselves like you know foam rolling that kind of stuff you know that in my eyes also falls under this manual therapy stuff so don't, I, I don't want people to think that, oh, they're only talking about a service you can get from, I don't know, uh, a masseuse, a masseur, uh, or a physiotherapist, or a physical therapist, or whatever else, right? And I also, which we will discuss towards the end, don't want people to think throughout this whole conversation that these things are completely useless, right? Because there are times and places that some of these, at least, or some of these modalities at least would have a potential benefit. And as we will get into, some of the potential benefits may be more, I suppose you'd call it psychosomatic in terms of it's almost placebo, but that could be exactly what you need in, in a given situation. You know, so you can't just discount that and say, oh well if it's just placebo, then fuck off. Like if it if it causes the effect that you're looking to cause, then does the ends justify the means, you know, um, which for you as an individual, that is a choice that you should be making, an informed choice that you should be making. So if, if you go, yes, I realize it is placebo, but it gets me what I want in the end, then that's fine. I, I honestly don't care if you 
want to engage in whatever services like it, that's not none of my business you know i just want you to be informed but yeah gary so lay this out for us well you've obviously laid it out for us but talk us through almost how this stuff comes about because like you just mentioned there you were kind of like oh well it would be great if we could just you know touch a few spots rub a few things and all of a sudden your neck pain is gone right and that mm-hmm. that obviously would be great but is that not what they're actually achieving as is? Like, are people people are experiencing that kind of stuff? You know, you go to your physiotherapist, you go to your masseuse, your masseur, whatever the fuck, and you get a little bit of a rub, and your neck pain is gone. You know, at least for the next few hours. So, are are we not like I just said, the ends justifying the means? Is that not what we want? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so there's there's really a lot of layers to this because, and this is why it's so important, is because like if we're going to have this discussion, these good discussions, we actually need to start peeling back the layers. And I think like as a profession or a group of professions, um, I think that's one of the central problems is that people aren't willing to have these discussions and to actually question like, um, should we just are, are we willing to let go a massive part of these professions and essentially like remove a lot of the value that's seen in them and I like that that's the hard discussion and so, so so it does need to be had and obviously like it's more helpful for or it's easier for me and you to have these discussions because we essentially don't have a horse in the race well I guess I do like I've just spent four years studying physio like but um, I'm happy for physio to be something else than what people think it is um, but anyway peeling back the layers when we start this discussion um, I suppose we have to realize that most most of the applications of such therapies are used in painful conditions so the first thing that we need to try and understand when we're thinking about these things is like what pain is and what sort of things we might expect pain to be modified by okay so if we think about pain and we look at how it's modified you've given the case there that you know so when people do have these these treatments they do get relief and that's absolutely the case okay um very often when people you know, receive any one of these things, um, whether it's a massage or IASTM or a manipulation um, or even exercise, they get these short-term hypoanalgesic, which means it reduces pain, um, effects. Um, so they do get those. So it's like, oh, well, doesn't that mean that they're useful? And this is where you have to start peeling things back. So when we look at what can actually adjust pain, like this can be achieved by the most like things that you would perceive to be unrelated like you can create illusions where someone's hand looks different is a different size um, has hair on it or doesn't have hair on it looks injured or doesn't look injured um, you shine a red light on it or a blue light on it and all of these things modify the pain that someone experiences and then it's further you know it's affected by how much sleep someone has had their mood their expectations from the therapist all of these different things that are not directly related to any specific tissue level effects um, come, up, come about as a result of, of, of these types of treatments. So th- that's where things get a little bit more difficult because what you tend to see when you look into all the research on these manual therapies is that a lot of it, a lot of the effects that are seen are likely to the, be the result of a kind of theatrical placebo effect. Um, so what that essentially means is that when as an individual when you go to a therapist and you seek out a certain treatment 
you have a predetermined expectation of what is going to happen. So you often go in and you view the physiotherapy profession as an operator-based profession where you go in and they essentially act as the operator on you. Okay, so they're there to fix you. They do something to you and you get better. Okay, so that's your first expectation. You expect that to happen. From there, you go in and you've already got these narratives of what pain might be, what might affect pain in the back of your head. So that, again, is modifying this situation. You go in, you meet the therapist. They're really kind to you. They're empathetic. Um, they understand your condition and they show that they want to help. Again, that modifies the outcome. Okay, And this is consistent throughout lots of different conditions, not just related to pain. Then from there, the therapist kind of explains to you what's going to happen. So they explain to you that when I do this, um, let's say it's uh, some sort of massage, they, and, and they tell you that I'm going to improve blood flow to the area, it's going to help release some of this fascia, and the end outcome is going to be that you have you know less pain because we're releasing this and we're helping heal that. Okay, so they, they, they sell you this narrative and it's like, right, that makes sense. That's intuitive. It seems logical. And again, that's modifying the expectation and hence is very likely to modify your pain. And then you have the treatment and afterwards you feel better. And it's like, oh, wow, that worked. But just because that happened does not mean that that is a justified treatment or that it was necessarily beneficial to you. Because essentially what that has done has actually reinforced all of the false beliefs that happened along the way from you being pre, you know, before entering um, the room with a therapist and the story that the therapist told you. And the reason that that is important is because that essentially changes your expectation, your expectations of um, healthcare or the physiotherapy profession. It, it changes how you essentially interact with the medical model. You can have a higher level of dependence because you feel that the next time you experience pain, you may, you know, need to have something fixed. You need someone else to do something to you. It also reinforces the idea that pain needs to be avoided and tightness needs to be avoided and these and that these are harmful sensations. Um, and, and all of these different things um, have negative trade-offs in my eyes. And hence, it's important for therapists, doctors, whatever, to consider the repercussions of what they're telling patients, what they're, what they're applying. And also the, the honesty factor in terms of explaining to patients what exactly this treatment is doing. Because while you can say that, oh, we're just trying to leverage placebo effects by telling people that it's doing this, even though it's not doing this, that to me is sort of unethical because you're, you're essentially letting that person carry forward with those beliefs long into the future, which goes back to our discussion about the idea of the coaching footprint. You should be thinking of your therapeutic footprint. What is the footprint that you were left with after you visit the therapist? And that to me is really important. And with that in mind, you know, you might be thinking, oh, but Gary, like what these massage does increase blood flow. It doesn't, you know, there, there's the, the evidence shows that massage doesn't actually increase blood flow to the muscle. It also shows that, you know, it can compromise the clearance of of lactate and hydrogen from the muscle which is literally the opposite of what is often claimed um, and to me i'm like those things aren't even therapeutic targets necessarily but it's just interesting to show how it's it's often not the case that these things are even true on a basic science level and that goes for things like fascia as well you know you need forces as high as like 500 to 900 kgs to achieve like a 1% shear and 1% c compression in fascia. It is ridiculously strong. You're not changing it with your hands. Not a thing. 
you know so these are the discussions that we need to be having because if we're going to be saying that you know telling people real life people in real life that we are doing these things to change these these endpoints then we would want to be very certain at every level of the evidence from basic science all the way up to therapeutic outcomes that what we are doing is the result of a specific pathway and if that's not the case then we should be very comfortable with uncertainty and telling people that all right i'm going to do this treatment to you i'm going to apply this treatment this manual therapy and the effect is probably related to some placebo effects it might even be because you trust me it might be because of your your beliefs about pain and i think to be honest if you were to tell that if, if manual therapists were to start telling that to every patient that came in the door i don't think that people would essentially want to go back quite as much um, there are a lot of more issues that i, that I want to dig into but before we go any further i like you to chime in and let me know what you think about that sort of thought process yeah see and this this is the thing for people to i suppose understand like you're saying here the claims that people are making the claims that the selling or the people that are selling these services the claims of these people that are essentially creating these modalities the people that are selling these tools if you actually dig into the claims a lot of what they're saying is completely false, right? It's completely not supported by science, okay? And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad because you could create something, me and you have an idea, we create something based on some mechanistic stuff that we're kind of knocking around in our head and the science is not there to support it. You know, we just created a new thing, right? So that's not to say just because there isn't science there to support uh, an actual thing that doesn't mean that that thing isn't scientific right but when you actually look just peel back the very basic layers of a lot of the claims that the, the people selling these stuff or these things it's very unscientific in that they're actually claiming things that you can prove are incorrect right and now obviously i'm not a physiotherapist i have got or i have received uh, physiotherapy before I have engaged in different things like massage and whatever else right uh, I've done stretching myself I've been stretched myself and I, I've done a lot of different things right so I, I have that perspective I also have the perspective of the stuff I know about biochemistry and physics right and when I look at all this stuff I, I essentially see we'll say three things going on right and it all well i suppose four things kind of going on and all of them in my eyes kind of fall within these different categories now the first one is inflammation right so all of these manual therapies whatever whatever method grastin whatever fucking method a lot of them seem to work or i'm not going to say seem to work i'm going to say seem to rely on the fact that you can inflame an area and you can essentially then cause that area to have to be rejuvenated, if that makes sense. In terms of like, if you got a cut or something, your body is going to cause inflammation and it's going to deal with that assault, right? So if you then assault the body with, I don't know, whatever modality, you are trying to bias some inflammation to that area to hopefully 
impact a positive change from that inflammation, right? You know, you get whatever remodeling of tissue, whatever else, right? So there is something that you could go, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. You know, and you, like you said earlier on, you see these people with these, these Graston tools and whatever else, and they're black and blue afterwards, you know, like all bruised up, all blood, you know, whatever, everything. So you're like, okay, so maybe that's working through that effect, right? You're getting some inflammation. You're getting some blood flow, like you said, which, you know, the research doesn't necessarily support. But again, if you're bruising up the area over a few weeks or over a few days, your area, your body is going to have to send blood flow to that area to deal with that, et cetera, right? So maybe some things are working through that, right? In my head, this is what I'm looking at when I'm, I'm evaluating these claims. I'm going, okay, so I could, I could potentially see some of that, right? But then I look at it, I'm like, if that's the case, then why don't I just exercise? Because you're getting the, the same effects from that, right? So, you know, if you want to increase blood flow, I'd rather just use that muscle and increase blood flow that way. If I wanted to increase, you know, the release of inflammatory cytokines or whatever, I'm just going to use that muscle by exercising, right? So that's my that's my kind of perspective on that one, right? That's not, again, to say that those those modalities aren't or don't have a place, you know, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. Um, but that's, that's my idea on that side of things, right? The next thing then is, without getting too much into the physics of it, like muscle and connective tissue have like a, a fixotropic nature, right? In terms of like, if you like fixotropy is, it's actually really interesting. It, like if you ever see people like, you know, fill a, a swimming pool with custard, you know, and custard is obviously, obviously like a viscous liquid, like it's a non-Newtonian fluid essentially. And it's a very viscous liquid, but it's also not viscous in terms of like, if you slowly Put your hand through it you can easily go through it. it's almost like water but if you impart a lot of force to that like you you fill a swimming pool with custard you could run across that right ketchup is another one of these uh you know fixotropic uh, things and this this is this is why you know ketchup always gets stuck in the fucking tube and then if you apply some uh force to that tube it then becomes more liquid and is more easily able to come out, which is really rather annoying because, you know, you put a little tiny bit of force and then all of, a, all of a sudden it turns to basically water and half the fucking tube comes out on your plate, you know? So that's another thixotropic uh, liquid, essentially. Well, muscle and connective tissue do have thixotropic properties. So if you apply some sort of force to that muscle, you essentially get like sheer thinning and... The, the, the muscles themselves become thinner for that second in terms of, like, it's really hard to explain, but they, they do have this, this, this nature and essentially you make them more liquid, which then obviously makes them easier to move. So you essentially, this, like, if you look, go back to the episode where we had uh, uh, MJ Delaney on and he was talking about, you know, motion is lotion. That's essentially what is causing that you know you get a bit of motion through the joints you put in part a bit of force through those joints and you essentially get some shear thinning and the joints become more mobile because the connective tissue has essentially thinned you know again this is time dependent this is why you don't see those effects long term like what he's saying like you know you kind of have to do it every day you know it, it, there is a, a time dependent nature to this and this is also why 
And I think neuroscientists do a fucking awful job of this in terms of like they always talk about proprioception and they always talk about like, you know, your, your, your brain's ability to know where it is in relation to the environment. And it's like, yeah, you can look at it only from the brain perspective, but a lot of that is being done from the muscles because they have both a time dependent and spatial dependent, uh, view of history like they know where they wear and they know when they wear there you know uh, and that's true this stixotropic nature which again like neuroscience kind of just rather says rather avoids this whole thing because then they have to change their entire notions of proprioception which you know neuroscience don't like changing things but uh that's a whole other discussion but anyway uh so you get a lot of that stuff from the manual therapy you know you get force applied to the muscles you know again like the stretch therapy like you said you know i can just have you lie face down on a, a bench or whatever stretch out or pull your your leg your heel towards your bum and stretch out your quad essentially and you're like oh my knee now feels great and it's like yeah because you got some shear thinning of your whole you know connective tissue at that knee joint so now it feels a little bit looser for the next while you know uh so you get that but again i look at that and go okay if that's the the method that they're saying i should be impact or is impacting change from this manual therapy why don't i just exercise you know like why don't if you're just doing this to me and i can do this to myself like i just have to move like movement itself like you know the actual contraction of muscle fibers does engage this thixotropic nature uh so i can just move myself like all my knees feeling a bit sore i can literally just do a bit of a squat move around a little bit you know uh, do a basically a hamstring curl, you know, and oh, my knee feels great now. You know, I've basically just moved, caused some shear thinning in this, this, this tissue. You know, so I'm like, okay, I could pay someone to stretch me out, or I could just do it myself. Okay, so that's that's my perspective on that. The next one then is the the nervous system stuff. You know, and again, we probably will touch on this in a second, but you know, your nervous system does to an extent control the tonicity that's what you fucking uh physios call it isn't it you know how tonic and relaxed i don't know what i definitely is. don't say that <laughs> well anyway that's that's what they all say in this literature that you guys write it's disgusting um but uh you know how toned a muscle is in terms of how relaxed or unrelaxed it is i suppose you'd say uh and again the nervous system is a huge part of that again all you physio guys just completely ignore the biochemistry, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and your nervous system does control that. So, you know, you could say then like, oh, I'm applying some force to a muscle or I'm applying some whatever to a trigger point or whatever the fuck. And I'm essentially causing your body to relax. You know, I'm applying some force and teaching your nervous system that it is okay to relax in that stressed environment like that's why you'll generally see people go okay now breathe breathe into this you know you know relax into it relax i'm going to hold this for a few seconds and i'm basically going to teach your nervous system to relax right and again you see the the, the physios the physical therapists the manual therapists whatever fuck whoever you know and even like you know your foam rolling in the gym you know like oh relax into it relax into it again it's essentially teaching your nervous system to relax and in my eyes i'm like i can also do that myself you know i can literally just breathe i can also then you know do some probably more specific stuff and breathe like i'm like oh my my quad feels tight in the in a squat you know i'm like okay so where does it feel tight okay i'm it's at this point in the squat i just do a little body weight squat squat down oh it feels a bit tight there and i'm like okay so i'm actually just going to teach my nervous system to breathe or sorry to relax 
by breathing in this position here myself you know <laughs> like i'm actually just going to do the movement i want to feel less tight in and then i'm going to try to relax myself and again like this comes back to the fact that people are actually terrible at relaxing because they've never been taught to relax themselves they've always been taught to distract and call that relaxation you know they're like oh i have to relax and watch tv and it's like that's not relaxing it's like yeah you might get the side effect of relaxing but you're actually just distracting your nervous system and hoping that it will relax you know and you'll see what i mean by this in terms of you know you'll be like oh i'm just relaxing and you'll see people like i don't know watching the tv or something and they're actually not relaxed at all their shoulders are all bunched up they're really like tense and they're real like you know on edge and it's like you're not actually like your body is not actually relaxed you know you know again coming back to that uh, tone that tonicity or whatever fuck you physios call it um anyway and then the, the final thing then is the essentially placebo stuff you know where it's you have a good relationship with the physiotherapist you're going to you know you're you're essentially giving them control handing them over your locus of control and going i i know you're going to fix me you're the person to fix me you know and i'm basically giving them the ability to fix you that you didn't actually give yourself you know like you were like oh no i could never fix myself i'm broken i'm damaged i'm fucking you know i'm, I'm i sh- basically should be brought out the back and shot you know like that's you you've said that 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 is your ability you know you you don't have the ability to fix yourself whereas you then give that ability to someone else and magically they are able to fix you you know so that's again the kind of psychosocial whatever fuck you want to call it uh stuff where it's basically placebo because you've allowed someone else to do what you could have allowed yourself to do anyway gary would that be again this is just coming from I'm, I'm not a physio i don't i also don't look into this stuff a huge amount uh because i think a lot of it is fake but <laughs> um would that be would that be in your eyes correct all, all of what i've said there would that be Okay, yeah, and I think like I think the the key thing to take away from like even if you don't remember if if someone's listening to this and they don't remember any of the specific points that you've made about you know thixotropy or sheer thinning or anything like that, one of the things to to kind of consider is that you know you're saying, all right, you know this is the this is the physics stuff, this is the biochemistry stuff, this is the neuroscience stuff, um, and you know we're talking about all these different things, and the key thing to remember is that like these things we cannot take them away from each other they do not act in isolation this is all one big complex Mm -hmm. mesh of the human that you can't just say you can't just say you are targeting one thing um and and that's really the key issue here is that like people like to reduce explanations for complex phenomena down to single isolated variables um whereas what we're saying is that when you receive these types of treatments they are the result of the, the outcome is not something you can directly reduce to one thing. Um, and like that, that essentially stops all of these different companies and brands from being able to differentiate, differentiate each other from one another, um, which is obviously a problem from a financial perspective. Um, and that's one of the reasons you won't see these things just drip out of fashion, of fitness culture, of healthcare culture very quickly. Um, is because people do identify with these different types of treatments. They do identify with being the fascia guys or the nervous system guys um, or whatever. But but like it's just 
you're just looking at the wrong stuff. Like you are simplifying the human down to reduced isolated concepts as opposed to looking at, at the human and think, you're right, fuck man, this stuff is really complicated. We've got these, you know, these these individual cells and tissues that are, you know, susceptible to all these different physical properties um, from a, a specific physics perspective. And then you you, you look at the, the chemistry of all that and how it all interacts. And then you look at the the actual the fact that oh there's actually this big nervous system that's coordinating everything as well and this whole human happens to be part of this you know social system social environment that 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 is leading to these certain psychological factors and beliefs etc like this stuff becomes really really complicated and you see these things um differentiated in different cultures like you've got cultures who believe that pain is the result of spiritual factors um impending doom you know more religious um, types of things versus us who have more of a biomedical perspective of pain and its causes and these lead to uh, like objectively quantifiable differences in the well I guess you couldn't call it objectively quantifiable but subjective changes in the pain experience and subsequent disability like there, there are very real differences in those things and like to look at that on the human and social level um, just makes it so difficult to say that Oh, this manual therapy is having is having this therapeutic effect as a result of this one specific outcome, like fibroblast pl- proliferation that you identified in a test tube or whatever, which, like, which you just which you would just expect anyway, but you wouldn't necessarily expect it to have a therapeutic outcome. Um, so yeah, this this stuff gets it gets really complicated really quickly. And one of the issues that came up in in your part of the discussion there um, was about the way in which we kind of have this post hoc rationalization like something happens like something happened we do something something happens and then we we after the fact we say that it was the result of x or say okay so we say that it was because of something else or or something specific when we can't really be sure of exactly why that thing happened and this always happens with these therapies and specifically because the way they're applied is in a test intervene test fashion um so what that means is that uh, let's say i do a a muscle test on your quad patty all right so i test your quad it could be with my hand which is totally useless and unreliable like that's just pointless you're not able to tell someone's strength with your hands like it's just a waste of time unless someone is like actually paralyzed or you're just trying to make a very rough assessment that right is probably weaker than left um, which is fine if someone's had like a shoulder fracture very easy to assess there um but like in the real world, if I was to try and assess the strength of your quad and see and test again in like five minutes later, I wouldn't really be able to tell the difference because I couldn't, I couldn't differentiate the effect of my treatment that happened in between. Like let's say it was stretching or whatever it was, massage. Um, I couldn't differentiate the effect that that treatment had from number one, like post-activation potentiation, some sort of potentiation effect of like using your muscles and then using them again. You know, when you do warm-up sets in the gym, you're not going to hit the same one at max if you just walked in and hit it versus doing it after all your warm-up sets. Okay, there's, there's very there's different levels of strength, um, and that is relate sort of related to a potentiation um, type of effect. So you can't you can't just take that out of the equation and pretend it's not there. Like we expect an increase in strength regardless of whether you intervene or not. Um, so that becomes like really really problematic because if 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 I do that to you, I test your strength. Let's say it's with a dynamometer, something that's accurate. Um, and then I test or I, I intervene with that massage or some sort of therapy and then I test again and I'm like oh your strength improved like telling someone that that is a result of the intervention is just like 
it's blatant it's either blatant lies or it's blatant misunderstanding of how like neuromuscular function actually works um and, and the other thing that's worse about that as well is that when people do it with their hands they also forget that the therapist is also getting a potentiation effect okay so if i push as hard as i can onto your quad then my tricep muscles and chest muscles etc they're also going to be potentiated a few minutes later when i test you again so i'm on i'm unable to tell what force i'm applying you're unsure of how hard you're actually working and both of us are none the wiser as to what we're actually trying to do so it's just like the, the, it's there's just so many levels to this that are messed up because there's the stuff at yeah, the and, and 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 there's no blinding at all because like yeah. if you fully as a therapist believe that this modality works you go okay like you want it to work so yeah. you do the, the the therapy and you go oh we'll, we'll say on an arbitrary scale of one to ten you're like oh your muscle strength is three before you do the, the therapy and then you go do it again you do you do your therapy and you go oh your muscle strength is seven now you know it's like you didn't blind that like i could literally you could you could as a therapist make everyone believe you're the best therapist ever just because there's no blinding like you're like oh your muscle strength is at three before we go in i do a therapy and despite them putting out the exact same amount of force or whatever else uh after the therapy all you have to do is tell them that it's a seven and you're like oh, i am the best like you're you just went up four points there you know so there's no blinding like at the very least someone else should be <laughs> should be doing the measurement but anyway look yeah so like like what you can see from this discussion is that there's just so like there's so many problems at so many levels like from testing to the intervention to how it works to subsequent effects on patients to the overall like expertise and, and status of the profession like 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 that's something we haven't really touched on but i think that's a problem because i think a lot of this stuff is dressed up as this sort of elitist, this elitist uh, fake profession, professionalism, like in my eyes. Because like I've experienced that as a student where you're learning these things, like they're teaching you, oh, this is a grade three mob, this is a grade four mob. Like I was literally tested on this in a practical exam. Like, you know, oh, what's the, what what grade is your mob now? And I'm, and I'm like, fuck, man, like, i don't know and you're like oh grade three and then she's like okay so how much are you pushing down into the end range of the vertebra and you're supposed to say like oh yeah this is like 75 percent of the max range that i could attain and it's like this is made up this is bullshit <laughs> like it's not true you, you're just making it up um, and like the reason that i think is that that is a problem is because firstly for students that are going into studying physiotherapy they're made feel like they don't like they they're, they're, that they're just dumb because what's actually pushed on you is that, oh, once you've got like 10 years of clinical experience, you're going to be able to feel exactly how the sacroiliac joint moves when you put your hands on. And then it's like, you actually look at the research and you're like, oh, this thing doesn't actually really move. And there's not a hope in hell that a human could detect this small, like percent of a degree of movement. Like, um, and, and it's like, that's essentially the way it's sold. And it's all sold based on um, once you have enough clinical experience, you're going to be able to do these things effectively. And that to me is one of the problems with like how people are so defensive in relation to the research, because what they say is firstly, their first defense is that all, all these studies um, are useless because it, you can only apply manual therapy on a case by case basis and you can't do it in a study because it has, it has to be the right treatment, the right force for the right patient with the right condition. And it's like, come on, like, you, like you, that, that, that to me is like the ultimate like pseudoscience 
quack trick because what you're doing there is saying that oh my hypothesis or the way I apply my treatment is untestable you cannot falsify what I am doing um, and that's obviously a big problem um, you see that in nutrition as well a lot of the time but the second the second thing to touch on there is in relation to like the actual evidence-based medicine model and how people apply that like people often think about like they often quote uh, David Sackett's um, paper on like the quote-unquote three pillars of evidence-based practice and they always say that um, oh you know the, the one of the pillars of um, evidence-based practice is clinical clinical experience and but that was never said like Sackett did not say when he was proposing like that evidence-based practice model that these three things were equal and that you can just replace evidence or evidence to the contrary with your own experience um, without actually justifying it like that that was never said and people always go along with that and say that oh it's just clinical experience and you can use that as part of evidence-based practice and that's fine but if you're like if you want to actually go along with that then what you also have to say is that I'm going to ditch all of the explanations that I'm currently using based on the evidence you know because you, you, you can't just keep saying that it's fixing this and realigning that when the evidence is it's showing the opposite um, if you're just relying on clinical experience. So like, it's, it's, just, a, it's just an issue with application there. Um, and in terms of the expertise stuff, yeah, I touched on it. For students, it's problematic. For, ther- or for patients, it's really, co- it's really problematic as well because essentially what ends up happening is that there's this authority figure um, as the physiotherapist or any other type of therapist who is essentially unquestionable. And the, you know, they might say that, um, oh, how, how does this actually work? And then the person explains it. And let's say you were the patient, you've listened to the triage podcast and you're like, but I thought that doesn't, that's not really the way it works. And then the person goes back and they say, well, I've been doing this for 10 years and this is always how it works. Um, And it's like, all right, now the person is unquestionable. So, so yeah, there are a few of the problems. There's more to discuss, but I'll let you add in anything you have there, Paddy. I have nothing to add, Gary. I just, that's a hundred percent bang on the ball. Too easy. Well, then I'm going to keep going, okay? Because <laughs> I've got keep keep going by all means. I've got the, the the my big picture problems because this is my time to rant. Because people ask about this on Instagram, I'm like, I need to do a podcast. Fucking go rant. Stop justifying your rants. Go. <laughs> but yeah, so we've kind of touched on it. But the public expectation of physiotherapy is a big problem because essentially it reinforces the idea that there is an operator model of, of physiotherapy that you go into your physio, they do something to you, and they fix you. That's a big problem because that essentially removes. The, firstly, it, it scares the personal or the physiotherapy profession in my eyes, um, and it makes me often like not want to essentially identify with people in that profession because I often see people, um, you know, that it's just the expectation. And to be fair, it is changing, especially among lots of, of, of physios. But there's still, you know, lots of physios that are still just practicing um, based on non-evidence based practice. Um, but yeah, public expectation of physiotherapy. The effect, the effect that has in patients is the main problem, um, not just related to the therapist, because patients expect that operator model. That makes it difficult for a patient that goes in. Um, if they do meet a therapist that is actually practicing um, based on the evidence in a good, ethical, solid, patient-centered way, what ends up happening is that they it's difficult for the therapist then to kind of get that patient to come around the, the idea that I'm actually not going to be here to fix. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to sort of promote self-efficacy, promote you being able to help yourself and also 
providing education and advice in relation to what is important about pain, some kind of reconceptualization about pain, um, and these other like benign sensations like sensations of tightness or um, stiffness. You know, um, it's it's difficult for a therapist to get sort of re-explain that to a patient if all they've ever been exposed to is this you know general consensus that you go to the physio they fix you um that's that's usually problematic like on 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 tuesday as part of our student-led clinic as part of my current placement um you know there was there was one patient who had discussed something or who had discussed being seeing lots and lots of different um therapists in the past and finding it to be really helpful um and you know i was kind of asking questions in relation to specifically what treatments had been received and you know it was the typical like oh yeah a little bit of soft tissue work and needling and uh, and you know i'm asking questions like oh did that help and they're like yeah you know it really did help me but then when you actually dig deeper it's like oh it helped me at the time but i'm still here going back to physios over and over again and that's a big problem because what ends up happening is it builds a dependence on the healthcare system um it it creates a sense of over medicalization where all of these senses of discomfort need to be medicalized, need to be fixed, need to, and a therapist needs to be seen, which reduces that internal locus of control, as you discussed, um, gives the locus of control to the medical system, and reduces the person's self sense of self 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 efficacy, if I could speak, because if you've only ever received or perceived improvements um, in your condition as a result of intervention elsewhere, then you do not feel like you are the one that is in control. And especially when it comes to things like pain, tightness, stiffness that are not necessarily, uh, you know, harmful, um, that that's really problematic because you don't want to be the person that is dependent on the healthcare system every time you experience one of these symptoms because they are very normal parts of life. So we don't want to reinforce that idea that you need to always reduce and avoid pain because that is not helpful in general, um, especially when we see pain being a, as such a common thing, especially things like back pain, you don't want to keep telling people that they need to avoid that pain or fix it before they can do the things that are important to them because we know that that sort of catastrophizing about back pain is a negative prognostic factor and, is, and puts you at a higher risk of having that pain long-term. Um, and, and that all fits in with the fear avoidance model of pain where essentially if you are you know, fearful that pain is harmful, then you're less likely to engage in the things that are meaningful to you and more likely to experience, you know, a higher level of pain and chronic pain. And, you know, it just goes on. And then to add to that, this one is most specific to the fitness industry in my eyes. You see this, this sort of mindset of, oh, I'm going for my, you know, weekly checkup with my therapist or I'm, I'm just looking after the machine, you know, getting a few touch-ups from my therapist. Um, and that to me is problematic because that's, essentially like in my eyes it's it's almost i'd almost call it exploitation from the therapist's perspective that you are making this person dependent on you to to come and see you every week to feel like they can go and train um, and from the person's perspective number one they don't they probably don't really understand why they're experiencing the sensations they are um, they're probably catastrophizing about them because they need to go and have them looked after each week. They don't have a sense of self-efficacy. They're, you know, essentially externalizing their locus of control. And also, a very obvious one, cost. This shit costs money, all right? You're going to pay someone to essentially reduce a symptom that is modifiable through things that don't cost any money and that is not necessarily um, indicative of harm that does not necessarily need to be fixed um and i'm just like why would you want to spend 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of euros a month um, and uh, up to literally thousands a year, like some people literally do, spending on therapist costs. Um, that to me is, is again, a big problem. So that overall lays out probably most of my personal issues um, with the practicalities, the outcomes, the ethics of all of this stuff. And it's one of the reasons that like personally, if you were to, if I, if I was, had my own clinic and you were coming to see me, you wouldn't be seeing me put my hands on like very many patients to say that I'm fixing them or telling them that, that these things do X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think that's the more, the most difficult con- part of this conversation is that if you're a physio student, if you're a physiotherapist listening to this, if you're a personal trainer who has maybe gone and gotten additional education in, in sort of rehab techniques, the difficult part about this is letting that go and recognizing that this is a relatively low value part of the profession that is seen currently to be very skillful and that is perceived by the public to be almost like a, this parlor trick type stuff, this wizardry. Um, and getting rid of that is really difficult because it's at the core of what people expect, both from students going into university, from therapists that are going for continuous education and from patients in the real world and ultimately i think it all has a net negative effect um and that that we would be better off if we didn't have this this idea of the operator model of physiotherapy at the center of the profession and that goes for osteopaths chiropractic etc but i think they have a more difficult problem because they've essentially based their whole profession on this sort of stuff um, or at least a lot of a majority um, would would relate to that so so yeah that's that's the majority of my uh, my ranking okay okay so that was great but if i am an individual so we'll, we'll take it from the perspective like you've talked you've essentially talked to physios and also you've talked to individuals in terms of what they should expect from physios and i'm just putting physio as this broad term manual therapists whatever the fuck you know um yeah it's easier <laughs> but if you're an individual like say for example you're an individual and you're going, oh, like I have a tight muscle or I have like, we're not not saying injury because, you know, injury, you probably need some form of rehabilitation. You know, if you fucking, I don't know, break your leg or something, you know, you need to strengthen the muscles, et cetera, whatever the fuck, you know, but you're, you're just an individual. You maybe don't train, right? And you have, I know, tightness in the hips. They always feel really tight, you know, whatever this vague, term tight means but you you feel this sensation of tightness right you're an individual doesn't exercise what do you do then right and keep that question in your head or you are an individual that again has tight hips but you are maybe a gym goer maybe you do a little bit of tech we'll call it powerlifting training you know you like your squat you like your deadlift you like the the kind of bigger more compound lifts you're doing a lot of that you don't necessarily have a competition or anything like that you're just your your average gym goer that is kind of pushing things you know or you are your well say competitive athlete gym goer you know and you maybe do powerlifting right and again you're feeling like you have tight hips right or and then finally you are I say an actual athlete, like powerlifters are athletes, but (laughs) an actual athlete in terms of, you know, maybe you're doing, I don't know, rugby or something like that. You know, you're doing a field-based sport and you're feeling like you have tight hips. How how should those individuals go about addressing that? Because obviously they have this perception that, oh, 
have tight hips, don't really know what to do about it. I'm asking people around me, they don't really know what to do about it. But I feel the sensation of tightness. So should I go to a physio? What can I do as an individual? You're saying that this, these manual therapies, etc., aren't really effective. So what, where the fuck does that leave me as an individual? Yeah, so I suppose step one, um, which is actually something I wanted to touch on earlier, um, was in relation to, I guess, I guess first understanding like like what's what, like that 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 stiffness, tightness, that it is as you said a feeling. Okay, it is some sort of experience that is not necessarily related to something you can objectively quantify. Okay. And this has been studied. Like this isn't me just making this up, but the 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 general sort of I guess consensus or idea about what these feelings might might be like is that they're sort of similar to pain. So if you experience like stiffness at a certain area, you're like, oh, my hips are awful stiff. In in a way, it's it's similar to pain in that that is a an experience that is created by your brain, your human, you. Um, and that is not something that is necessarily an input from your body. So it's not necessarily something that's coming from your muscles to tell you that they are actually tight or stiff. And, you know, that's been studied in relation to the back, for example. You know, they've done research to study wh- whether or not these people that have perceived higher levels of back stiffness, do they actually have objectively quantifiable higher levels of stiffness when you test it um, and that's actually not the case so there's no difference between those people and control subjects who don't perceive that they have this this level of stiffness um, what you do see is that those people are more likely to overestimate force when it is applied so they're that little bit more hypervigilant and um, they might be a little bit more sensitive but what they're not is actually more stiff a lot of the time um, and that goes that you can trace that back even deeper to conditions that you might expect um to have lots of issues with this like for example rheumatoid arthritis like if you look to rheumatoid arthritis studies what you'll see is that even when a joint has been amputated yes amputated it does not exist anymore people still experience stiffness in that area so you don't have a knee but your knee feels stiff but it's not there it doesn't exist so that essentially is for me probably a central piece of evidence that would demonstrate the point that this is something that is that is an experience that is essentially created by your brain, you could say, um, not something that is directly coming from the exterior. So then when you think about how that might relate to all these different people that you have laid out, you essentially have to ask yourself, firstly, like, do I actually have to fix this? Like, I always, I always like to think of this in terms of, like, reconceptualization and understanding first. Like, I, like, I would like someone to understand like why they might be experiencing pain um, or, or what pain might mean, the meaning of pain, before they go and try to address it. I think that's really important because that might have some modifiable effects on the subsequent behavior. So, for example, if they are that person that does not exercise and they're experiencing some, some tightness or stiffness in their hips, like my question would always be, um, why is that important to you? You know, like why is that important to you and what does it mean to you? Very often what you'll find is that the reason people really care about this is not just the actual discomfort, it's the discomfort plus um, concerns about this being a problem, like, oh my God, am I going to develop osteoarthritis in my hips? You know, And that can come from, oh, my mother had really stiff hips and she had these problems and had to have a hip replacement, I'm really worried about that. It can also come from, 
narratives that are often pushed in relation to like I have tight hips so as a result I'm very likely to have back pain or my posture is misaligned and this is going to lead to like this joint being out of place and all these different problems up the chain it can stem from that um, and different sorts of things related to that so I think it's always important to ask like why is this actually meaningful um, to you um, and then further to that you have to start asking like all right is this just a sensation that is associated with you being in a certain position for a long period of time yesterday i was waiting for my girlfriend to collect me from the bus and i was just sitting there squatting down um for like 15 minutes right i was just sitting there squatting 15 minutes and like at the end you know my joints obviously felt like they were a little bit uncomfortable right they were in a in a position for a prolonged period of time with no movement and you know i would have had those sensations that i'm like oh that feels weird um, that feels not so nice that's a little bit uncomfortable and that essentially is something that I would expect and once I move away from that it's no longer a problem so if you're that type of person that is you know sitting at a desk in one single position all day long and you start to experience stiffness or tightness you have to ask yourself like is this genuinely something that needs to be fixed or is this just some sort of way of your body telling you that you need to start to move and move around and very often what you'll find is that when people move around a little bit more often, when they are that more sedentary type, like person one that you listed, they do actually experience some relief once they start to move around and once they start to realize that, oh, this actually isn't something I really need to worry about, you know, because that's a big one. It's a huge one. Um, and then obviously that person, you want to get them exercising um, because it might be the case that, that changes that sort of experience or it gives them more tolerance to being in specific positions over a long period of time. But then you move further into the athletic types and the athletic types you know, you're, you're dealing with people who are already training. They're already putting themselves into, you know, positions of quote-unquote stress. You know, they're training these muscles, they're training these joints, they're exposing them to high loads. And sometimes what you'll find is that these sorts of sensations or experiences are simply fatigue-related rather than any specific problem. Um, and that, that, you know, that happens all the time when we train. You know, when we train and we go to the gym and we feel, oh, you're, you know, you're stiff the day after, you feel like you can't move as much. If you were to assess your range of motion, it might not even be as great. And sometimes that's just a result of fatigue. And people, again, can catastrophize about that and think that that's problematic. Um, for, like, for example, when we were, we were working with dancers yesterday as part of my placement, and over a third of the class had been concerned from the previous week that they had back pain after we did exercises. However, the goal was to train the back muscles. On the other hand, they were talking about their quads and their glutes as if it was almost like a badge of honor. Like, oh yeah, I, you know, I felt that the, my legs were, they were a bit sore after the, the, that workout. Whereas their back, they were really concerned about and they felt the need to express concern about that. And again, the back is similar to the quads and the glutes. So why do people have these concerns? They have these concerns because of essentially socially learned messages and concerns about the back, that the back is vulnerable, the back is weak, uh, the back is something you need to be worried about, you don't want it to be sore. Um, and again, that gets to the root of that problem that why do people think that this is problematic? And, and, and that does relate to athletes. Um, it absolutely does. So if someone is concerned that they have a specific sensation, again, it starts with, is this a problem? From there, you go to adjusting potentially like measures of training load if you need to so that it changes the, the experience someone is having in the days after training. No different than if it was just purely muscle soreness. Like if someone was having quad soreness for five days after a workout, as a coach, my initial decision would be, right, we need to, we need to adjust uh, training load to sort of adjust or to sort of um, reduce the fatigue that that person is experiencing. And the same thing could be said for things like stiffness, tightness, etc. 
Um, and then from there, it could just be a case of getting that person to move around and show them that they can actually still get into these positions um, and that, that some movement make, actually just makes it feel a little bit better um, and, that, and that that could be the relief they are looking for. But very often, to come back to, to the starting point, these things aren't massive points of concern. Um, like I noticed myself, you know, some days you feel a little bit of stiffness in one area, it won't be there the next day. You sleep poorly, you're more aware of it than you normally would be. You know, you do a certain training session, something feels stiff, it's gone again in two or three days. I think we need to get really comfortable with the idea that these are normal parts of the human experience, even for people who are training, and that if you are training, you're going to experience uncomfortable sensations both within and after the session, and that is essentially something that is pretty normal. Now, this gets to an, another issue of should the person try to seek relief from those sensations or those experiences through things like I don't know, stretching through things like massage, foam rolling. Is that a worthwhile intervention? And I think you can make the case that it probably is in some cases. For example, if someone is competing in a high-level competition in which they're required to compete on multiple days over and over again, I think getting someone to have a, if you can get a massage from your you know, team masseuse, I think that's fantastic. I think it's probably a good idea. Not because not because it's it's necessarily releasing or fixing anything, but because one, your expectations are probably set up for you to get benefits from that. And if you can leverage that at, at, at a high level, I'm like, that's fair enough in that case, because all that matters to you more than anything else is performance. Um, and secondly, as you discussed earlier, you know, people are bad at relaxing. And one of the, the things that you see with massage is that one of the huge non, potentially non-specific mediators of any feelings of improvement might just be the fact that you are lying down for an hour. Someone is giving you a pleasurable sensation. There are effects associated with that. Um, and that, that, that is just a generally good thing that might help with your recovery. Um, so might it help you get back on your feet a little bit sooner? For sure. And I'd be confident that that might be a good idea if you were competing in the Olympics. <laughs> but if you are a general trainee i don't think you need to rely on those things i have no issue if someone feels comfortable after a stretch they understand it's not necessarily fixing anything um and they just go ahead and do that like i'm cool with that once you understand what it is and is not doing and of course there are other applications like if you're a power lifter and you need to compete next week and you've got you know things that are limiting your performance and you know that if you go and get a massage you're going to feel a bit better I don't have an issue with someone doing that because again, once you understand and that, that it's not doing specific fixing healing type of effects and that you're not becoming dependent in the long run, I don't think that's a big issue. But again, that's, they're the sort of peripheral discussions that, are, that do not justify the whole. You know, they're, they're the exceptions to me and not the, and not the rule. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's generally how I would think about those those few problems and one thing that you kind of touched on but didn't fully elaborate on was the the whole concept of tightness being bad right um like sometimes you'll see this especially in that example i gave with the, the power lifter like they'll say oh my hips are tight but that may be the exact adaptation they want for their sport true you know so especially in, in terms of powerlifting. Like, especially if you're doing like more of a, we'll say a, a low bar type squat where you're basically just hitting parallel. Like you, th this is how squat suits and stuff work. They essentially make you tight through the hips so that you come back out of the hole, you know? So 
if you feel tight because of the way you train, because of the exercises you do, you're like, oh, my hips are tight. That is the adaptation you're trying to elicit because that helps you in your sport, you know? So like you said, you have to, you have to wonder, do you actually want to treat this? You know, because people are terrible at comparing like things with like, like they'll, they'll go, oh, well, look at these Olympic lifters, like a Olympic weightlifting. And they're like, oh, they squat all the way down and they're literally their ass is on the ground, you know, and they'll then compare that population to like powerlifters, you know, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, like I should have open mobile hips like clock off, you know, and it's like, no, you, you want to have fucking tight hips if you're a powerlifter, you know, like you want, <laughs> you want to, to just get there and spring that up. <laughs> exactly. You want to be barely able to hit parallel, you know, like you, you almost want the weight to have to push you in to hit parallel, you know, so that you literally just spring right the fuck back up as soon as you hit it, you know, like you want that as a powerlifter, you know? So, well, depending on the way you lift, obviously, you know, uh, but yeah. the, you will be almost conditioned by social media or whatever the fuck, wherever you're being exposed to all this stuff, that tight hips is a bad thing. You know, when mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case, you know, in certain circumstances. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think I think it is just a case as well of like asking like what does tight hip me- tight hips mean? Because I think like in the example you've given about powerlifters, generally what they're referring to, it tends to be the groin region. Like that's what I find anyway. Like I had a, a lifter this week, like one of my clients, he was talking about how his groin, his adductors, they feel really tight at the end of a lift and he gets a bit of soreness the days after, um, you know, at the bottom of his squat. And I'm like, oh, I don't think this is a problem. Like that's that, like that is, that is your adductors reaching their length and range at that bottom position. And then, you know, they're getting tight and then you're, you're essentially coming back up. Like it is a normal part of that lift. And essentially if they're getting sore, it's just like any other muscle group. And like people don't, people tend to isolate these problems to specific muscles. Like for example, when people get, um, when people feel their hamstrings getting tight at the bottom of an RDL, they're like, oh yeah, great. I got a savage stretch in my hamstrings. But as soon as it's the adductor during a squat, it's like, oh no, I've got tight hips. So again, like this is why it's important to kind of tease out the meaning behind these things. And, you know, I, I would agree with you that that if you are a powerlifter and you're training for, for that specific adaptation, um, I don't see how, trying to force yourself to get to do the splits, let's say, is going to be something you want to achieve. Like, if it is the case that we accept that, you know, there are interventions that you could do to improve your ability to squat way deeper as a powerlifter and not feel as tight in your current bottom range, I'm like, I don't know if that's beneficial for you. Like, is that really what you want to achieve? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think so, um, because it would make a lot of sense that, you know, availing of that additional little bit of a, a spring, elastic energy, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, at the bottom is going to be useful. It's one of the reasons people use knee sleeves. Like when people wear knee sleeves, essentially what you do is you replicate having a tight quad. It's exactly what it does. Because if you had a really tight quad, it would essentially be the exact same effect as a knee sleeve in that when you get to the bottom, it's winding up, it's stretching. And then when you get to the bottom position, it helps to spring you back up. You're not getting into as deep um, knee flexion anymore. Um, so, so like that to me is worth considering because so many people wear knee sleeves and then they're like, oh yeah, I want to you know improve my mobility and be able to squat deeper. And it's like, well, you firstly, you would actually squat 
slightly deeper if you didn't have a knee sleeve because you'd be going further down into tight calf contact um, it would be probably harder at the bottom position and you know I just wonder if people really want what they say they want sometimes because I think people say that they want more quote-unquote mobility very often because they think oh it's going to reduce my risk of injury or it's going to improve how I lift whereas very often like that's not really the case um, and I'm all for people having a wide variety of movements that they're capable of doing like I think that's fantastic I think you should you know go out and seek to develop the most comprehensive human movement ability you can like if, that, if that's your goal like please go ahead and do that but it's when we get to specific things where you know I, I need to reach this standard so that I will be pain-free or so that I will avoid injury or so that I will optimize performance that's where it becomes problematic and where we require like more specific investigation i think yeah and it is one of those things where you again are assuming that achieving a certain thing is going to achieve a different thing for example like i can do the splits both ways in terms of like i can do a, a box split and i can do you know uh, a front splits you know uh, and i still get tight hips sometimes you know like a, a sensation or a feeling of tight hips you know and especially like obviously like we both do like jujitsu and stuff but like you you would like i have that range i have the ability i have the mobility like i also have strength in those end range positions not not as much in the box splits because i don't really do them as much and like i'm basically at my ju- almost just beyond my end range in my adductors for for that kind of splits um so i don't really have as much strength there but like i still feel like i lack mobility in certain movements in jujitsu you know and again like it's it's like well you can't just assume that getting a certain thing will lead to a certain other thing and like you said you have to be very clear in what you actually want you know like and again like they always they always say this to you as a a child you know like be careful what you wish for and and that is that is essentially what we're saying here like you have to be very specific in terms of what you're actually trying to achieve you know like if you just say i want more mobile hips you know like we can achieve more mobile hips like we can we can do you know maybe it involves some manual therapy maybe it involves some specific training maybe it involves some whatever else but just because we got you more mobile hips doesn't mean that you then experience what you thought you were going to experience from that you know so you you have to be very clear in what you're actually trying to achieve you know and again like in those examples that i gave like all those people have similar feelings because obviously you don't like i can't feel what you can feel so i don't know i'm just presuming that my feelings are the same as your feelings when we describe a certain thing which is also why just tangent tangentially like having a society or whatever set up where you're like oh it's all about emotions like it's actually really ridiculous because like you're just presuming that everyone's emotions, everyone's feelings are the same when you describe something, which is which is just not the case, you know. Um, so all those people are having similar feelings, but what they're actually trying to achieve is completely different. You know, like the sedentary person is just maybe trying to feel a little less tight, a little less pain, maybe you know when they're sitting down, maybe when they're doing their job and whatever. And again, like as a result, the way you approach that totally different than the other ones you know that that might just be might just involve like okay we need to generally get you moving a little bit more move into these ranges move in and beyond these ranges and 
most often that'll that'll fix the issue there's no need to go to a physiotherapist there's no need to go to a manual therapist there's no need to go to any of these different things you know um then the person that's like okay well i'm actually involved in exercise i'm i'm training away and for that person they're going oh i have tight hips that that the way you approach that isn't going to be the same as the way you approach the last one. And it might be the case that you're like, okay, let's dig a little deeper into this. And what are you actually experiencing when you say you have tight hips? And like you said, maybe it's the adductors, you know, maybe it's like, okay, well, my adductors are feeling like they're essentially hitting their end range in this position. So then you go about that and you go, okay, well, you know, there are, is some things we can do to, make you feel stronger in these end range positions so you don't necessarily feel like the, the subjective thing feel as maybe weak we'll call it in that position so you feel a bit more confident and as a result you don't feel tight in that position like you may not be a, you may not actually be increasing your mobility necessarily like your your squat depth say doesn't actually change but you know your adductors don't feel like they're in a, a very weak position at the end you know so subjectively you don't feel like you've tight hips anymore you know you feel more in control maybe you do maybe it's because you know you're getting some like you said the soreness of the back and stuff you know because you've trained the muscles you know maybe you're feeling some adductor uh, doms maybe and you're like okay well that's like you always get that when you squat you know your 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 adductors take a fucking beating yeah. you know um so for you maybe it's like okay well your hips are going to feel tight after that but your quote unquote hips are going to feel tight after that. So maybe we just reduce the overall load of your squatting, like whether it's volume, whether it's intensity, whatever. And all of a sudden your tight hips go away, you know? So there's that. Then again, like we said with the, the actual like power lifter who's actually competing, it's like, are you progressively getting stronger? Are you doing well at your sport? If so, then who's not, to, who's to say that the tight hips you're experiencing are not related to that? You know, like they, they, they may be the adaptation that is mm -hmm. helping you facilitate you getting better at your sport. You know, like you're training a certain way, you're getting certain adaptations. Who's to say that's a bad thing, you know? So you might do all this extra work on, you know, opening up the hips and whatever else, but that might actually make you worse at your sport, you know? But again, there may be cases where you're like, I'm actually, I do feel or do experience tight hips. And again, that would then come back to, the same as that generalist lifter who's just, you know, whatever. And you might go, okay, well, this is the case where you are doing too much volume, too much load, too much intensity, whatever. And we may not be able to do anything about that in the current position you are with relation to the competitions you have, you know? Like I said, you get the adductor soreness. It's like, okay, well, if you were that person and you were training for a competition, we can't exactly just drop the load. You know, we can't just say, oh, well, your squat's going to have to take a fucking miss here. You know, fuck it. Like, you know, so in that case, you know, maybe some, like you said, manual therapy, some massage or something might be beneficial. Even if it is self-massage in terms of you're doing a bit of foam rolling, maybe you're doing a bit of, you know, stretching, you know, just feeling something in those muscles that, you know, maybe gives you the subjective feeling of relaxation. And that may be, that may then allow you to keep pushing forward with your training towards your competition you know because you can't change the the loading you know maybe you can drop off a set or maybe you can keep a few extra reps in reserve but it, it depends how you're training for that competition so again like in that case i'm like yeah okay cool like you said earlier on that might that might necessitate using some of these whatever modalities you know manual therapy modalities right then again if you are that 
athlete again no disrespect you are that like field field sport athlete and you're like oh my hips are tight that could be an issue of you know a, a strength thing like people will say my hips feel tight and what they really mean is my hip flexors are weak uh, so they're always like I feel like I'm anteriorly tilted almost you know so whenever they're running they're like oh my hip flexors get a little bit weak so I feel I'm a little bit off there or again it might be related to again I hate using the terms, but like muscular imbalances in terms of like they, they're just not strong in certain areas and then that's affecting their ability to actually do their sport. Like I was saying earlier on, like we both do jujitsu and sometimes I can feel like my mobility is not there. Like, and this is especially true if you do like you're, you're shrimping out of a move or out of a position and you want to get your, your, your leg in on their hip or something. You might just feel like you have insufficient strength in your hip flexor to get your knee towards your chest and your heel in towards their hip, you know, like you might just be too weak to get into that position, you know, or rather you're too weak to get into that position confidently and strongly, <laughs> you know, and, and under fatigue and, and over under, and over again. Exactly. You know, so again, that might be the case, you know, so that's what I'm talking about when I say strength imbalances, I'm not talking about, you know, like, bilateral the perfect ratio yeah exactly yeah. like whatever you know um so that might be the case if you are like a, a, a field sport athlete a, i don't know fucking judokist i don't know whatever fuck, whatever fuck sport you do um and that might just facilitate you needing to strengthen the muscles that are involved in those activities you know again like in in that case what we're talking about here for for us that might involve like doing some hip flexor specific work you know like doing Again, that could come from the, like, you you like that movement, you know, either with a kettlebell where you're just bringing the knee up uh, or you're lying on the ground cable and you're bringing the knee towards the chest effectively. But it could also just be something like, I don't know, quad extension where you're really focusing on leaning forward and shortening that muscle there as well. Like, it doesn't have to be very, very specific. It could be generalist or generalized getting stronger on the whole, you know? So, again, it depends. And, again, to an extent, it is, which is horrible to kind of generalize but it's like yeah well it's like this is going to be a case-by-case perspective you know obviously it it depends on the sport it depends on the person it depends on why these things are occurring but that is the case and i can't give you the 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 secret you know um and again it might just be the same thing that the the powerlifter was experiencing these adaptations you're feeling may be beneficial for your sport you know like you might feel like you have tight hips but that might be exactly what you need for your sport. I don't know. I can't really think of one off the top of my head, but I don't know, maybe, I don't know, fucking skiing or something, you know, where you're literally in this bent over position, like maybe feeling like you're a little bit tight through the hips is a good thing. I, I don't know. Again, it would depend on the sport. It would depend on the adaptations that your sport demands. It would depend on all of those things, you know? So again, you have to look at what increasing your mobility increasing your whatever actually benefit your sport you know and and then again it could just be the fact that like we said you're just weak in a generalized sense you know and that might just mean that like okay cool you've been doing whatever sport just if you got stronger overall some of these issues would disappear you know so hope go on if you're gonna say something yeah, no, I just want to kind of just elaborate a little bit on that. Just I want to give a GAA specific example because I think these people, like GAA athletes, are literally picked on by all these people. <laughs> like it's like it's like people want to like sell the GAA players these solutions because they know 
they always experience tight hips and stuff, right? Like one one of the biggest one of the biggest problems here, right, is like like firstly, GA is an amateur sport. Okay. So one of the things that comes with that, especially at the club level, is that things like appropriate load load management and appropriate strength and conditioning are just not there. So what ends up happening is that But that's also the case with many group activities you know for because, sure because yeah, yeah. you, you can't give the individualized attention like if you're like a, a an mma person or a brazilian jiu-jitsu person or a fucking whatever it's, it's an individualistic sport so i can give you individualistic things based on your game but if yeah. we're like oh we have 30 players on the team we need to lash them into a training session it's like okay cool we're all doing this you know anyway, yeah well. yeah but but what ends up happening is you go they go back to training sometimes you know after not training for a while They'll do a load of sprints, like just out of nowhere. You know, this sort of idea that, all right, we need to flog the lads with a load of runs. They go and do all this running, and then they're like, oh, God, my hips are so tight. And it'll typically be like the hip flexors, maybe the groin, the hamstrings. They'll say that they're tight. But the very reason that they are tight a lot of the time is the result of, firstly, you doing something that you were unaccustomed to. You hadn't been used to doing either that that intensity of sprinting, so in terms of speed, or the volume of sprinting or running or training that that you did. So if you went from doing zero sessions a week to three sessions a week, you're probably going to experience tightness. That's something I would consider to be normal. On the other side of that is that, like you said, part of it is a case of weakness. But I don't just mean weakness in terms of like you need to attain a certain level of strength, but more so like a lack of preparation. Like very often people will focus on the hip flexors and they'll say, oh, I'm doing all my strength training. They strengthen their glutes, they strengthen their hamstrings. And when they run, they're no longer as much of an issue. They're not as tight anymore because they've been working on gaining strength there. But what, what ends up happening is the hip flexors are still tight and they just cannot see, see past the idea that hip flexors need to be stretched. And it's like, all right, why haven't you included a hip flexor strengthening exercise in your program? Because if you just had more strength, and you had more tolerance in those hip flexors, then when you did go and do that sprinting, it would no longer be that far above your capacity, and hence you wouldn't expect to have as much tightness or stiffness or soreness afterwards. And I think that is something that sounds so simple when said out loud, but not very, it's like common sense is not common practice. Like it's not seen very often in practice that people are like comprehensively strengthening their hips um in in all directions and that when there are exercises they're very often biased in one direction so if you are that ga athlete don't just go for quick fixes to fix a perceived tightness if you're foam rolling every day that to me is like a problem like if you're if you're foam rolling every day especially if you're doing it for like 30 minutes a day that to me is a huge problem because it's something that you are doing that is not giving you anything long term and it's 30 minutes that could be spent on something really productive like strengthening like practicing your sport a little bit more um so that one is just specifically for the ga athletes because you know we've got a lot of them in our own client base um, and it's, it's something we actually apply yeah and this is this is also related to that especially with the, the hip flexor discussion like people fail to put into context that you are able to do or rather i'll, I'll put the end thing your aerobic fitness goes up if you are stronger Okay, and what I mean by that is if you are doing a max effort hip flexion every single time you run, that is going to be way more fatiguing than if that was just very submaximal, right? So you're going to feel extremely fatigued if the weight of your leg is 
the max amount of weight your hip flexor can lift, you know, like as in can flex towards your, towards your body, you know? So every time you sprint, every time you run, if you are basically hitting max effort, like that's, that's an extremely demanding load. You're going to be more fatigued. Your aerobic fitness, your ability to repeatedly do this, you know, your, your endurance, if you want to call it that is going to be less because you're not actually aerobic to an extent like obviously you are but you're not because you are hitting a a higher effort you know that's a that's a max load that you're trying to lift every single time you run you know so if you just get stronger overall and this is what we see a lot of times in our client base if you just get stronger in a generalized sense you know even if it's not quote-unquote sports specific stuff you see an increase in performance on the field because you know, the, these exercises or these, the requirements of your sport are now a much lower demand on your actual muscular strength. So as a result, you can repeatedly do them. Like, for example, this is to make it more intuitive. If I require you to move boxes for your job, you know, and these boxes all weigh 40 kilos, we'll say, right? And all you have to do is pick them up, load them on a shelf, but they all weigh 40 kilos, Right. If your max ability, box lifting ability is 45 kilos, right? You know, you can maybe do three boxes back to back and then you need to have a break. You need to, you know, catch your breath, allow that fatigue to dissipate, whatever else, you know. If you are strong enough to do 80, 100 kilo boxes, you can literally just lash through those 40 kilo boxes and they will effectively feel like nothing. You know, so you can then get 20, 30, 40, you know, reps, essentially lifting those boxes and loading them onto the shelf, you know, and again, you're now it looks like you have better endurance because you're able to do more volume of work. But really what you did was you got stronger. You're now able to do your 80, 90 kilo box lift, you know, and I, I think people fail to see that, especially in the context of field sports you know it's not always necessary that you need to be stronger for your field sport like you don't need to be have a stronger bench press or whatever else or hit these strength numbers that you were like suggesting earlier on you know it's not that's not 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 what we're arguing for what we're arguing for is if you're able to be stronger in a generalized sense the other stuff you're going to do is now going to require a lot less of your actual or demand a lot less of your actual muscular ability your nervous system ability and as a result your performance now is increased hugely for sure and i think and i think that's a, a really nice way of conceptualizing it and it goes beyond sport and that also goes for like things like worse workplace fatigue like if you were to take someone that has never worked a manual job put them on a construction site for a day they would go in there they'd be so sore after and they'd be like how on earth do these guys do it every day not realizing that oh it's actually because they have a higher level of capacity this is lower level work for them and hence they don't get as fatigued from it and like these things are actually really obvious in everyday life um and often we we kind of look at at people as being like oh my god it's amazing what that person does every day whereas it's like what you have to realize is that it's easier for them than it is for you and you have to just think about where's my capacity now what happens when i exceed it and very often what ends up happening are these sort of symptoms that we've been discussing and just to reinforce the idea it also goes beyond just the physical loading stuff. It goes into things like mm-hmm. how much you've been sleeping, how stressed you are. All of these things modify the experiences um, that you have each day. Um, and that's something I personally notice like a lot is that like 
like for for a for a long time i've had this like vague kind of onset of a little bit of pain or discomfort in my left knee kind of on and off it's not something that bothers me but if i haven't slept well what i'll find is that going up the stairs i'll just notice it a bit more or if i squat down i might notice it a bit more the same thing when it comes to back pain we all experience back pain on and off here and there if i haven't slept well i know i i will it'll be a little bit more annoying than it normally would be so it is reframing that thought process to to think that oh these things aren't dangerous they're not harmful they're just being modified and i don't have to fear bending over or anything like that um because because that that for me is is the the biggest issue is the the fear the catastrophizing the worry that come from all of these messages from start to finish whether we were talking about the manual therapy to try and fix something whether we were talking about interventions to improve quote-unquote mobility to reduce tightness soreness the 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 step one is to realize that these things aren't always harmful to reconceptualize them a little bit and that'll definitely put you in a better position to accepting the thought of thought the sort of thought process that we're proposing um which is actually like like to me and patty it's like oh this isn't a big deal to be talking about it but for some people hearing this information for the first time this literally shifts your worldview it totally changes how you think about all these things especially if you're someone that has been going to let's say a physio for like five years every week for them to like fix up this thing or realign you and you genuinely believe that that is what has been going on if we tell you this stuff you're probably going to be pissed off you probably get messages saying oh this is fucking stupid you you guys don't know like this is my experience and we're not trying to invalidate anyone's experience like as we said these modification of experiences can happen for lots of reasons there may be good reasons why yours has been has been modified so try to think this stuff through try to think of it um in an unbiased manner and create some questions for yourself to go on and ask afterwards. Like you, you're, you're very likely to be left over with questions after this podcast, because what we've essentially done is pulled apart some of the central concepts in multiple different professions. And we're just two guys who identify as personal trainers, you know? So it's like, it's a pretty big task. So um, don't be afraid to ask us any questions after. Anyway, do you have anything else to say, Gary? Before we wrap this up i don't think so i feel like that was a lot of information um i feel like there's a lot to take away from it to learn from it and hopefully it helps you whether you're a a personal trainer a trainee a, a physio student a physio hopefully there's something worth worth talking about there and if you have as i said we're more than open to discussion so if you do have discussion points send them, my way. Send them our way gary means send them to his instagram because <laughs> i literally never go on <laughs> Scum. That's the way it is, Gary. It's your job. Scum. Absolute scum. <laughs> um, yeah, I have nothing else to add, so I suppose we just wrap this up here, Gary. Do you have any final words? Sign up for our coaching service. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, suppose I, should, I suppose I should say all that stuff. Um, again, we do still have some coaching spaces left. We've had about five inquiries this week, so they will probably be gone in the next week or two um <clears throat> but if you are in, in, interested in coaching again get involved if you are interested in group coaching there is that service available if you are interested in you know discussing some of these things more in depth we do have the militia this is where we do the education style stuff so if you're going oh well how do i learn more about this kind of stuff like that's where we are writing 
the articles about this stuff, you know. Um, so again, if you are interested, it's all on our website. The link is in the description of this. Um, we don't sell anything else, Gary, do we? Uh, we don't sell anything at the moment anyway. You can follow us, I guess. That'd be a good tip. Like, follow us on yeah. social media and all that stuff. Like, like, share, subscribe, fucking all that stuff. Give us a five-star review, fucking actually, whatever. Actually, do sign up to our email list, though, because that's actually tasty enough. And the stuff that goes to our email list doesn't really go on social media, or at least not a lot of the time. Probably 50% of it does. So sign up. Link in bio. Link on website. Link on social media. They're everywhere. Like <laughs> That's fair enough. Um... Anyway, I have nothing else to add, so I'm going to steal your line and say it's too easy. It's too easy.